And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Thank you for joining us. I'm Tom Laurie, and I'll be your host today. Our guest mentor today is one of the great thought leaders of our time, Matthew Kelly. Born in Sydney, Australia, he began speaking and writing in his late teens while he was attending business school. In his early 20s, he developed the best version of yourself concept and has been sharing it in every arena of life for more than 25 years. Despite the mainstream media's failure to cover the rise of Matthew Starr, 5 million people have attended his seminars and presentations in more than 50 countries. And his books, 45 by my count, have been published in more than 30 languages, have appeared on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and U.S. Today bestseller list. And they've sold over 50 million copies. Topics include Life is Messy, Resisting Happiness, Courage, The Dream Manager, and most recently, The Rocking Chair Profit. Matthew, welcome to The Mentors Radio. It's really a privilege to have you as our guest. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So we have a little history. I just share that with everybody. Back in 2006, uh, someone else who's well-known as Pat Lencioni introduced me to Pat or to Matthew, and Matthew came out and uh, gave a talk in our local parish that drew 1,500 people from all over the Bay Area. Uh, it's the largest crowd we ever had, and that's when I got to know uh, Matthew, we had dinner together, and there'll be little things along the way that I'm going to bring up that I learned from Matthew when he gave that talk. There are little things he said that have always stuck in my mind, so be prepared for that. But to get started, uh, to let people more uh, know more about you, tell us about your journey to becoming who you are today. Wow, what a start. I mean, I grew up in Sydney, as, as you mentioned, Sydney, Australia, and um, I went to business school after after high school. I thought that, you know, I'd become a marketing manager for Coca-Cola or McDonald's or something like that. Um, during my first year of business school, I was invited to give a speech, and it was at this event where they used to have a, a CEO speak and a first-year business student speak. And you each had 20 minutes and um, they used to record these and distribute these. And back then, I mean, this is the early 90s. So um, it's still audio cassettes. And so it was A-side, B-side, A-side CEO, B-side first year business student. And uh, they chose me to do that one month and I did that. And then people just started inviting me places to speak. Um, about... Uh, Maybe six or nine months later, I went to the dean of the business school and asked for uh, a year off. And and I'd gotten a lot of speaking invitations from different parts around the world, and I, I wanted to go and speak. And uh, she said to me, I'm going to give you the year, um, but I don't think you're ever going to come back. And of course, at the time, I didn't, you know, I didn't feel that that was true, but I I never did go back to business school in Australia. And I wrote my first book that year. And I started to travel around the world speaking, uh, writing. It's been a 
an unimaginable adventure um traveling and just meeting so many amazing people and um i sometimes just stand in the airport you know look at the flights and where they're going and and like in every city there's like people i know uh who have um have touched my life have have been very very good to me have have contributed to my success in immeasurable ways because it takes so many people to put together a great success story and and um you know you talked about the night we had in in the bay area and there's a lot of stories like that and i know that you know that was a magical night and you know you know the, the great people that came together to put that together and make that happen when you get great people like that doing things like that and at that time i was on the road 250 days a year it's a very humbling thing to realize that yes you have had this incredible success and yes without these literally thousands of people it just wouldn't have happened and give us an idea of maybe one or two of the most important mentors along the way that uh, were pivotal for you yeah it's interesting i had a spiritual mentor when i was 15 and this is really what put my journey in place and he was a doctor he was uh, 10 or 12 years older than me and uh we used to play together on thursday afternoons in a in a basketball and a pickup game and um he really challenged me he really got in my face about spirituality and he basically said all your friends are going to reject the religion they grew up in their spirituality over the next 10 years they're all going to reject that and i'm okay if you reject it as long as you know what you're rejecting and um and just every every week he would just sort of be in my face a little bit and really challenging me i think he saw that a lot of things had come easy to me up until that point um and and i think he could see that there were different paths i could walk and you know that some of them weren't great and that um there probably wasn't a lot of people around me who were going to challenge me in that way uh, so that would be one i had a number of extraordinary soccer coaches um and 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 a fantastic golf coach uh all of whom taught me a lot more about life than they did about golf or soccer um and they told me a bunch about the sports but uh, th there has been these consistent mentor figures in my life uh, my father was a calm wise um sort of figure um i, I think I didn't think about it at the time, but I think the character Ezra in the book, The Rocking Chair Prophet, is probably very much like my father. Um, and he was a great mentor to me. Um, I have seven brothers, and, and my eldest brother is uh, 10 years older than me. And so my two eldest brothers were also played mentor roles in my life, especially around um, financial planning and, and business mainstream media has to some extent ignored you not completely but you're not on the radar i mean you've done tremendous things you got great uh achievements so what, what do you think it is about the mainstream media is it a anti-spirituality bias or something or oh, i think there definitely is an anti-spirituality bias i think there's an anti-religion bias that is even stronger than that and also i mean publishing is is controlled by the big guys and while I did publish with uh, some of the bigger publishing companies in the world, I then realized, okay, this isn't, even though I'm getting New York Times bestsellers, this isn't going as well as I would like. And 
And that's when I started my own publishing company. And, you know, we publish over 400 titles now. We publish over 200 authors. And But primary among that is my books. And my books have been able to help me lead a lot of other authors to success. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial skills. We're going to be right back after a short break. We're with Matthew Kelly, one of the great thought leaders of our time and the author of 40, what is it, 44, 45? How many books now? I think it is 45. 45 books. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with author and entrepreneur Matthew Kelly. He popularized the phrase, become the best version of yourself. In his early 20s, he has since authored 45 books, which have been published in more than 30 languages and have sold over 50 million copies. So when you think about all these books that you've written, I was curious, what is your favorite one? I think that's very hard to to answer. I do get asked that from time to time, um, and I do think it changes. There, there are some that just have sort of some magic around them. You know, when I wrote Life is Messy, I had been working on it for three years, and it really was the fruit of a very, very difficult time in my life, which happened about three years before I started working on it. And um, But it published right during COVID, and... It was the right book at the right time. It did incredibly well. Um, but you can't plan that out. You don't, when you sit down to write a book, you, you can't envision in the future, okay, we're going to have a global pandemic. People are going to realize more than ever before that life is messy and this book is really going to resonate with them. Um, and so there are some books like that that just, that they just have this, they just have something, there's just something about them. They sort of have a destiny of their own. And, uh, the Rhythm of Life had that. That was my first New York Times bestseller. I think The Dream Manager had that. That was my first business book. Um, uh, Life is Messy had that. And and interestingly, I'm seeing that with The Rocking Chair Profit, and, which is great because it's, it's been a passion project for me. And it has been something I've been wanting to do for 20 years and have put off um, because it felt a bit mm, self-indulgent. But at the end of the day, it has... Um, has become something that I think is serving people very powerfully. And, and interestingly, I think Daniel is 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 the archetype of a mentor, you know, um, from the perspective of of what you do and and your show. So let's go to the book a minute. And I, I'm going to ask you, you mentioned uh, in the last segment that Ezra, tell him who what the role is that Ezra plays. And then I'd like to know how is he like your father? Yeah, so Daniel is is the main character, and he he suffers an unspeakable tragedy in in pretty much the opening of the book. He goes off into the mountains, and you know I think at first to run away from life, but ultimately it becomes a clarifying experience for him. He works out who he is, what matters most, and and what's important to him if outcomes don't matter, and uh, and then he comes back to live a life of service. Um, Daniel is um is extremely talented and he's given these sort of spiritual gifts or gifts of wisdom while he's in the mountains which really is not sort of fantastical i think it is just the fruit of silence and solitude i think if we spend enough time in silence and solitude we will become very wise if we spend enough time in silence and solitude we will begin to hear that voice within us very very clearly and 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 wisdom will begin to come to us through that voice Ezra is 
the family's attorney. Um, he's a great friend of Daniel's father. And he is a man who has put off his dreams to very nobly raise his family and support his family. And Daniel challenges him to pursue one of his dreams. And, and this begins a, a phenomenal friendship between really an older man and a younger man, um, which I think is, is a relationship that is sorely missing in our society. Um, it is a relationship where wisdom gets transferred from one generation to another and a relationship where young people keep older people young. And, um, and so that's sort of the friendship that develops. How is he like my dad? Well, he, he's a very calm person. He's a very thoughtful person. He loves people. You know, my dad loved people. He was an extrovert. Um, I didn't get that from my dad. I'm an introvert. And, um, but Ezra loves people. He loves his community. He loves serving people. And he's just this very calm presence, sort of um, an ambassador, a peacemaker, a, a mediator, um, a connector. And, and that's, you know, that's who my father was. He, my father had no education beyond the age of 12. Um, he grew up in extreme poverty in London in the 1940s. And, um, but he had this uncommon uh, wisdom that was just really a combination of common sense and observation. Um, and I do think I got that from my father. I do think that is the core of my success as an author is there's just a lot of common sense there. And there's a lot of observation of self and an observation of human nature and other people. Um, and, and I think that that resonates with people because they're like, okay, yeah, I, I experienced that. I feel that I think that, and I think a lot of that comes from my father. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. Matthew Kelly is our guest. Well, let's go back and um, suffering seems to be a big theme in the book. And you talked about reflection and solitude. Let's tie all of that together. And if we run out of time, we got a few minutes here where we can talk about that. But tie all that together for people. Uh, important, suffering is a big part of life. I think a lot of people try to avoid it, but it's going to come your way whether you want it or not. Now the question is, how do you embrace it, right? Yeah, there's no question. So I love first lines of books, and I love last lines of books. I rewrote the first line of this book no less than 200 times. This is what we ended up with. You never really know who you are until you have suffered, really suffered. But once you know, you can never forget. And from that moment on, things you never considered possible become possible. And so, you know, that's obviously a huge statement. And um, and I think people who haven't suffered uh, maybe struggle to get their head around that. People who have suffered, I don't think, struggle to get their head around that at all. Um, you know, life is different after you have been in the crucible of suffering. And, and we can wait for some big suffering, or we can look at the daily inconveniences of life, which many people classify as suffering, even though they're not. We can look at the daily annoyances of life, which many people classify as suffering, even though they're not. And, and we can look at the, the micro sufferings that we experience and ask ourselves, what value does this have? Interestingly, I think this is the primary thing that separates Christianity from all other major world religions, is that Christianity has a philosophy of suffering. Christianity says suffering has value. And, and the problem we have in the world is that people think suffering has no value. And so that's why they're constantly trying to avoid it. That's why we're constantly taking a pill. That's why constantly involved in 
avoidance and escapism and whatever else. Until we can make sense of suffering, we cannot live a fully integrated life. And solitude. Uh, solitude allows us to listen to that voice within us that we all have, that we hear very clearly when we're children, that we tend to uh, begin to doubt and question and ignore as we grow older. Um, and we begin to trust the experts, right? But but nobody's more of an expert in you than, you know, that gentle voice within you. Um, and in many traditions, it would be called the voice of conscience or the inner voice. Or it doesn't matter what we call it. We know we have it. We know when we listen to it, good things happen. We know all of our regrets in life come from ignoring that voice within us. I'm going to say that again. All of our regrets in life come from ignoring that voice within us. If, if people look back and say, okay, where is the time where you followed that voice and you have a profound regret for doing so? People can't find that because that 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 voice within us is like our true north. It's It's the true voice in our life, but in a world of talking heads and sound bites and everyone's an expert, we've we've started doubting that voice, which can only really be connected with in silence and solitude. Well, I'm, I think what we're going to do is we're going to carry over to the next segment because I have something to say and I think I run over, so we don't want to do that. So we're going to be right back after a short break. We're with Matthew Kelly, one of the great thought leaders of our time and the author of 45 books. You can listen to this show and past shows on the on all popular podcast platforms or by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. Subscribe while you're there so you don't miss any future shows. That's thementorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I am with author and entrepreneur Matthew Kelly, author of 44 books, including his most recent foray into nonfiction with his rocking chair profit. His books have been published in more than 30 languages and sold over 50 million copies. Before we get into the book again, what, what is it like for you to switch gears and go from nonfiction to fiction? It was not difficult to write once I had the concept and, and got my head around it. It was, uh, I dragged my feet for a long time because I didn't know if people would want to read it. Um, and I've been very, very pleasantly surprised by its reception. So in, in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier to write because, you know, you could put some words in the, the mouth of a character and you're not going to be judged for that idea. Whereas if, if you put that idea down in nonfiction, well, then that idea is going to be judged as, you know, an idea that comes from the core of your heart and soul. And, and of course, that isn't always true. Sometimes you're just asking a question. And that's much easier to do in fiction, uh, I think, than it is in nonfiction. Did you enjoy it? I really did. Yeah, I enjoyed it probably more than any book I've ever written. Um, and it's the first of three books in the series. I'm also working on another nonfiction book, which is set in a monastery in Italy. Uh, sorry, another fiction book that is set in a monastery in Italy. It is something I really love doing, but I only let myself do it for so, so much time because it, it is not really the core of my work. So along the way, and you did all this, and I can remember when I first met you, you were on the road 240 nights or you were just gone. I wondered if you ever would get married. You did get married. 
And how many kids do you have now? Uh, we have five. Five children. Yeah. And you're not traveling nearly. I mean, you may do a little bit of traveling, but you're pretty home-based now, aren't you? Yeah, I do very, very little traveling now. And uh, along the way, you I guess in many ways, you've been an entrepreneur, but you actually have two companies that you put. Yeah. I Tell us a, a little bit about those. So I have the publishing company. Um, originally, it was just, uh, holding the rights to my works and licensing the rights to my works around the world. Um, I then had a couple of books that the big publishers didn't want to publish. Um, I published them through my own publishing company. Uh, I then had a friend who had a great book and he had a, had a really bad offer from one of the big publishing companies. And I just said to him, let's take a crack at that. I think we can do better than that. And and we did that. You know, we now publish uh, about 200 authors, about 400, but over 400 titles. Um, that's been an amazing journey. Um, it's been fantastic to have control of my own intellectual property, but it's also been fantastic to be able to show other authors um, that there is a path other than, say, the big houses and self-publishing you know there is a path in between those two realities um and then we have the consulting business uh which is has been a, a fantastic experience the dream manager really um exploded the consulting business we do a lot of consulting but probably the biggest practice within the consulting business now is a coaching practice it is executive coaching it is uh, sales coaching. It is coaching for entrepreneurs or business owners, um, and and of course life coaching, coaching around sort of the dream manager concept. So, coaching is by far the biggest practice within the consulting business now, um, and that's Floyd Consulting, and that's been a great journey. And between the two companies, uh, how many people are affiliated with these companies? Employees or consultants? And in other words, how many jobs have you created? So probably between two and three hundred, between both of them, somewhere between two and three hundred. It's interesting you mentioned that because my father, he used to say the greatest contribution a business person can make to society is to create jobs. And he used to tell me governments don't create jobs. Big business usually don't create jobs. Jobs are created by small and medium-sized businesses, real people who take real risks with their money, their capital. And um, and when they give someone a job, they're not just giving them a paycheck, they're giving them a dignity that allows them to exist in society and raise a family very differently from someone who is without work. And uh, it was a great passion of my father. So I find it interesting that you raised that topic. Well, that's why I'm in, well, I, I think there's a mission in terms of meeting a need, as you know, I'm in the field of uh, cancer treatments and it's I'm mission driven. But uh, one of the great joys is hiring people and seeing them go off and grow and do great things. So I, I get it. I get that. So this is Tom Lawyer. You're listening to Mentors Radio. This uh, Matthew Kelly is our guest. Let's go back to solitude for a second. We talked about that. But now the question is, people say solitude. What does solitude mean? How do I get where do I find it? How do I what should I do? I, I, sitting in silence, I, that'll drive me nuts. I gotta have my phone on. Let's talk a little bit how you would coach people, since you're a coach, to learn how to deal with solitude or get the benefits of solitude. 
Yeah, I mean, so the thing that you just said that is what most people say is, what do I do? And and this is driven by our bias toward action. And the hardest thing in the world to do is nothing. You know, why is it that 95% of money managers can't beat Warren Buffett each year? It's because they lack the ability to do nothing. Our bias toward action, our bias toward activity, our bias toward doing something is so strong that the idea of doing nothing is um, is is just eh, we're allergic to it. And of course, the problem here is that you're not doing nothing; you're being and you're becoming. Um, and what I say to people is just get in a room, be the only person in the room, close the door, turn your phone off. It doesn't matter what you do. Okay. It it really doesn't. If you stay there for long enough, it needs to be a habit. You need to do it every day for a few minutes. And and your capacity to tolerate it will expand. Like the first time you do it, you feel you will feel like your skin is crawling. You will feel like you're coming off heroin. And 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 that that should tell us something about our lives. That should tell us something about our lifestyles, because you know, the fact that we're having these reactions to silence and solitude and putting the phone down is 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 a very real indication that that there is something wrong with our lives because we should be able to sit still and quiet for really a very long period of time and be very comfortable and happy in our own company how much time do you spend a day in solitude yourself so i don't answer that question anymore because um i don't <laughs> think that people should copy me but what i will tell you tom is in the two years before i started speaking and traveling I spent between four and six hours a day, you know, and I don't think it is um, any coincidence that the work I'm doing came from that intense experience of silence and solitude. Well, we're going to come back after we have our advertisers speak their piece. So don't go anywhere. We have much more to talk to Matthew Kelly about one of the great thought leaders of our time. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with author and entrepreneur Matthew Kelly. He popularized the phrase, become the best version of yourself in his early 20s. He's since authored 45 books, which have been published in more than 30 languages and have sold over 50 million copies. If you're listening to the show on your favorite podcast platform, please add a five-star review to help others find the insights on life that they're searching for. Is there any relationship of solitude and depression? So depression is a really interesting is a really interesting topic. It obviously there is a rising level of depression in our society. It is it is an expertise, and so in the book where Daniel is talking about depression, um, he's talking about it with one of his visitors, you know, and and it isn't really a clinical conversation, but it's you know there's there's a set of observations. Um, that he makes around essentially reframing um reframing the idea of depression you know and you know a couple of those things is depression is always trying to share a profound message about our becoming you know depression is a messenger you know one of the main things he says is like we think when someone has depression that they're malfunctioning as a human being 
And and he says the, the absolute opposite is true. You know, depression is a sign that your very intricate system is working perfectly to say, hey, something isn't right here. Pay attention to that. And, and so I think it is a messenger. Uh, depression, he says, is a manifestation of unmet needs. It is always asking what needs are not being met in your life. People have been howling at the moon for decades about the adverse effects of junk food. Yes, junk food makes us physically sick, but junk ideas makes our minds sick and junk values make our soul sick, you know? And so essentially he's trying to reframe um, the topic of depression outside what I think is the stigma of depression and the idea that, oh, this person is broken or this person is malfunctioning or or this person will never be right again, um, which I think is is just absolutely not true. Um, I also think that, you know, it is dangerous for us just to say, okay, we're going to just treat depression with medication. Um, because I think when we do that, um, we, we do ignore the message uh, that, that depression is trying to give us, which I think for most people is that at some level, our lifestyle is not serving us well. Our lifestyle is, um, is really disrupting the health of our mind, body, heart and soul well you triggered when you talked about uh depression um reminds me when you first talked when i first heard you talk <clears throat> you made a couple of um analogies with racehorses uh i don't know if you still make those in your talks but i i, I there are two that i remember one is uh because people tend to look at others and feel that they're less than or they don't have whatever and you said, well, look at a racehorse. Or maybe you can tell the story. What, is that, what happens in a race with a racehorse? Better from you. Well, I, I've used a lot of analogies over the years. But um, one of the ones I used about uh, the racehorse is like you can't, you wouldn't feed your, your racehorse, you know, burgers and fries and, and milkshakes and, and Coca-Cola the day before the Kentucky Derby. You know, we just wouldn't disrespect uh, uh, an incredible racehorse like that. Um, but we do disrespect ourselves in, in very similar ways all the time. And then you said, you went on to say, and when they're in the race, they don't look around at all the other horses. They've got their eyes straight on the track and going forward. And I thought that was such a great uh, analogy and that we tend to look at other people. But when you think about the racehorses, they're in the race. They're going for the victory. So true. So true. Incredible focus. I think so, also the other thing with depression is that depression is the most appropriate response to some situations in life. You know, it is it is not always an indication that somebody has a, a chemical imbalance or that someone is is mentally ill. Um, in some situations in life, not to respond with depression is actually inappropriate. It, it is is an indication that someone has been dehumanized and is incapable of being in touch with the depths of their humanity. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. This uh, Matthew Kelly is our guest. So one of the ways I, I just went last week up to El Dorado Hills Championship cross-country meet 39 schools and thousands of kids and my two grandchildren were in the race. And the joy of children, the magic of children. I mean, when you think about depression, there is children can add a lot as well to and getting out of depression. 
the joy of how we view children. Let's talk a little bit about children. Yeah, I think I've grown more through being a father than maybe any other experience in life. I, I have a very busy life. I, I have a lot of stress in my life. And that happens when you own like a series of businesses and you're responsible for hundreds and hundreds of people's um, livelihood. And, you know, my son said to me once, like, Dad, why? Why, why do you, why does this big problem come to you? And I said, um, you know, that the big problems come to the people at the top of organizations. And um, and the more successful you are, the bigger the problems uh, are that need to be solved. And, and there are very few easy problems because they get solved in the organization before they get to you. But what's interesting is like, I'll, I'll talk to my kids about the day, like I'll come home and and they'll say, how was your day? And I'll say, I'll just tell them it was a great day or it was a stressful day. And if I say it was a stressful day, they'll say like, well, what happened, dad? And I'll tell them, I talk to them like they're adults, you know, and I tell them exactly what happened. And and I ask them, like, what would you do? And it's it's fascinating, the wisdom they have, especially around personnel issues, you know, and and just the insight they have and and their ability to 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 access the brutal truth, just unmasked and just call it what it is, is just a beautiful thing. But um, I would say over the last couple of years, my greatest experience as a parent has been my boy's love of baseball. I grew up in Australia. I was not familiar with baseball. I have become a lover of baseball. I think the life lessons that baseball teaches is just astounding. And um, watching my boys um, fall in love with baseball, watching them play and taking them to games um, has been one of the most magical seasons of my of my life as a father. So what would you say would be two life lessons? I mean, we can't get through all of them, but two. I know there's life lessons in golf as well. So what are the life lessons that you would highlight as the two big ones out of baseball? I would say the biggest one is that I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe it's the only sport that 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 measures errors, that errors are part of the game, that errors are part of um, the way we measure it. And, um, and I think that's critically important, learning how to fail, learning that errors are are a big part of life learning that okay if you if you're batting 300 you are among the best of the best and that means you're failing 70% of the time i think that is a profound lesson about life and business and leading people and um and humanity i, I think it's just absolutely astounding and profound and arresting we're going to come right back after a short break. We're with Matthew Kelly, one of the great thought leaders of our time and the author of 45 books. You'll find all of our show notes and links to books mentioned on this show at TheMentorsRadio.com, TheMentorsRadio.com. This is Tom Loy, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Loy, and I'm with author and entrepreneur Matthew Kelly, author of 45 books. And uh, that includes his most recent foray into nonfiction with his uh, The Rocking Chair Profit, which we're talking a little bit about today. So you talk in the uh, in the book about noble service. What do you mean by noble service and how important it is? 
Well, I would say one of the most significant lessons I've learned in life is that the more I think about myself, the unhappier I am. And in order to stop thinking about myself, um, and I think this is probably true for many, many people, we have to switch the focus on to other people. Um, and, and that is when noble service kicks in, uh, because that capacity to be aware of other people's needs, our capacity to be aware, our capacity to walk into a room and ask the question, okay, who in this room is suffering the most or struggling the most? And then, um, and then do something to ease that person's pain is an extraordinary capacity. You know, um, it, it's an amazing gift. It's an extraordinary ability, but in order to trigger that kind of awareness, we first have to um, to stop thinking about ourselves because it is a that is a spiral of of misery and unhappiness that I think many many of us fall into. So last year I had somebody uh, from AA come on the show and talk about the twelve step program, and I'm sh I'm sure not that you went to AA. I went to ACOA because my dad was an alcoholic. Uh, but you get down to what the fourth or fifth step, and it's or beyond that, you're talking about going out and helping others, and that's really the the path out of uh, addiction is helping others and focusing on other people. So you're you're right in tune with that uh, in terms of what I've uh, heard. And so then let's switch gears, talk about the meaning of life, uh, which is a pretty big subject, and what is your take on the meaning of life and what is the source of real happiness? So, I mean, as I have sort of repeated and affirmed over the past 30 years, um, I believe that you're here to become the best version of yourself. I believe I'm here to become the best version of myself. Um, and for the most part, we know the people, things and experiences that are helping us become the best version of ourselves and those that are not. Um, more importantly, we know when we are helping other people become the best version of themselves and when we are an obstacle to other people um, becoming all they were created to be. Some food helps you become the best version of yourself. You don't need a list. You know the ones that some content that you watch on television helps you become a better version of yourself and some doesn't. Again, you don't need a list. Uh, that voice within you is very clear about the things that do and don't help you become the best version of yourself. And and this is, a, I think, a very simple way of looking at life. It is very difficult to consistently choose the best version of yourself throughout the day. I'm going to say it again. It is astoundingly difficult to consistently choose the best version of yourself throughout the day. Uh, it sounds like a very simple idea, and it is, but the difficulty of applying it to our lives is significant. It requires courage. It requires real rigor. And it requires a detachment from outcomes that most of us are not willing to surrender to. So surrender is a big deal. It is a big deal. We're trying to control so many things. We're trying to control so many outcomes that we miss out on so much of life and so much of self and so much of others. And when you're not with the kids, with your wife and writing books, what else do you like to do with your time? I, I, I mean, I still love to golf. I love to play the piano. I love investing. It's just a real passion of mine. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, so I do love that. I love art, and and we start. I started a watch shop with my with my children. It's called Every Watch Has a Story, and it it sells used, new and used uh, timepieces, watches, and that has been a magical journey uh, with the kids as well in in business. You collect watches. I do collect watches. Yeah, and have for a long time. I do too. 
I've often I've I've thought a lot about that. Why? I think it's because I'm so I know how precious time is. I think the watch is a great symbol for time and life. Yeah, I think it is a great symbol for time and life. But I think when we're impulsively buying watches, and I see this in the store, I see a lot of people impulsively buying watches who are trying to buy time, and <laughs> I do that. <laughs> well. Now you have a blog and a podcast and we'll post all of that on our website. So people, I think you still have your podcast, right? You're doing a podcast from time to time. Yes, I do. And you've got, and you're still doing the blog. I do indeed. MatthewKelly.com. MatthewKelly.com. So make sure we get that posted. So that's it for today. We've been talking with Matthew Kelly, one of the great thought leaders of our time and the author of 45 books. Thank you, Matthew, very much for joining us. You're a hard guy to get. I'm glad I got you on the show. And he's already agreed he's going to come back because we want to talk uh, about Dream Manager. So uh, we'll do that sometime next year. If you missed any of this show, you'll find a link to this show on our website, TheMentorsRadio.com. We will also include show notes and links to the books, to his blog, to his podcast, and um, the, that's, again, the mentorsradio.com. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.